All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Let's get started. Uh, so we just kind of jump in and, and recap a little bit uh, where we were last week. Pastor Joel started a, a new series last week on, on knowing God. And so he focused in a little bit on, uh, on a verse from, uh, two verses from Jeremiah 9, where it says, we boast in that we know and we understand God. And so the knowing is the, is the, the head knowledge. We know what scripture says about God. The understanding is knowing how that applies to our life and seeing evidence of that by walking with God and seeing evidence of that by other people sharing their testimony. So we know how it applies. So we understand certain things or we know certain things about God and we understand them when we see how they apply to our lives, when they, when they apply to our, our families and things like that. So uh, what we're going to do over the next few weeks then is for every, while uh, Pastor Joel is, is on a sabbatical, he and Angela and his family are, are taking a short break, which is a great thing for them. So you guys just be in prayer for them also. But uh, while they're gone, we're going to have the, the elders are taking a, a Sunday to, to just share and preach on a particular aspect of God. Now, it's not going to be an exhaustive list, obviously, in just a couple of weeks. Um, but we're going we're gonna to talk about a different aspect of God. And we're going to talk about you know, what that means for us now. And then how, how, you know, how that applies in our lives. So the, the truth of, of God, what do we know about it? Where do we know it from? And how does it apply to our lives today? Because again, it's not just the knowing that we want, it's the understanding of what, what do we do with this knowledge now. Um, and so uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, the, the fact that, that God is a rescuer of his people. So we'll jump into that in just a second, but, but let's pray first. Father, we lift this time up to you this morning. Father, we ask for your spirit to be present, to be moving, to be opening uh, our hearts and our minds, Father, to the truth that you want to reveal to us. We ask that you make yourself known to us, Father, that as we draw near to you this morning, that you will draw near to us. Father, we pray that this time glorifies you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the most encouraging things to me that, uh, that, that we know about God is the fact that, that he is a, a rescuer of his people. So God's heart is not set on seeing the destruction of mankind. And we've seen this uh, all, all throughout. So even with the first sin of, of mankind in the Garden of Eden, there was a consequence of that, but he didn't say, you know, we're done with these people, uh, with, with this human race, because they got it all wrong already. Uh, and then, of course, he, he, you know, he provides for them. Uh, you know, their family starts to grow and flourish and there's more people. And then, uh, you know, there's evil and wickedness all over the earth. And then, uh, you know, God wipes out the wickedness with the flood, but he doesn't destroy all of mankind. He saves mankind because he's interested in saving his people and his creation. Uh, and so through Noah and his family, God preserves mankind. And, uh, and, and so we see that, that his heart is not set on destroying mankind for the mistakes that we make because we're, we're not perfect. Um, but in Ezekiel, uh, he actually wrote that, that um, God takes no pleasure even in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his ways uh, and live and be saved. So God's heart is actually set on rescuing mankind, rescuing people, not just mankind in general, but each individual person if they will accept it. So we have a responsibility in that too. Um, but God sees when his people are in trouble, and he hears their cries for help, and he rescues them from their troubles. And so something we're going to look at this morning as we go through this is that some of the troubles that we faced are, um, are forced on us from outside forces. 
some of the troubles we face are a result of our own sin and, and rebellion, things in our own heart that are drawing us away from God to, to seek other things. And so um, that's what we look at is, you know, regardless of what it is, God, he's seeing what's going on. He's hearing the cries for help, and he's ready to take action. Sometimes he's waiting for us to, to, to cry out for help, and we're going to see that in just a little bit. But the, but the point that, that, that God is a rescuer means he's always paying attention. He knows what's going on in your life. There's, there's never a point, um, and, and there's, a, there's a phrase that's, that's used, that I hear it from time to time, and this is not a knock on anybody that uses a phrase, uh, is, is, um, but the, anyway, I'll quit stuttering and just get to the phrase. The phrase is, you know, something happens and they say, wow, God really showed up and showed off in the moment. And I understand that the sentiment of that is that God revealed himself in that moment, that he has power, that he knows what's going on. Um, but I want to take that, that piece of God showed up and, and for us to recognize that God sees and he hears because he's always there. There's not really a point where he wasn't there and then magically he shows up and all of a sudden all the circumstances change. He's been there all along. He was there before we got there, right? Um, and then when we cry for help, he takes action. And so we're going to kind of walk through here in, in the beginning of uh, what I feel like is kind of one of the most prominent examples of, of this is that God sees when his people are in trouble. He hears their cries for help, and then he rescues them. And so we're going to look at when, when God delivered the Israelites out of slavery and bondage from Egypt. And so, uh, you know, just a quick backstory on that is through, and I won't give all the examples because uh, you can go back and read them or you may already know them, but through a, a lot of miraculous circumstances, God uses the life of Joseph, who is an Israelite, to deliver Egypt and surrounding nations from famine, from, from starving to death. Uh, and, and he actually um, lifted uh, Joseph up to second in command over all of Egypt. So an Israelite is second in command over an entire Egyptian nation. Um, and so, you know, through all of this, God's saving people, and, uh, and, and there's, you know, to a large degree, there's peace throughout the land. And then Joseph dies, and then the, the, the Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, he dies, and a new king comes in. And so what we see in, in the beginning of uh, in, in Exodus is this new king either, did, you know, the Bible says he didn't know Joseph. So I don't know if that means he didn't know him personally or if he just didn't know of Joseph. But either way, he, he didn't know, he didn't have any, uh, any perspective of what Israelites were, were really like other than he comes into power and looks out and he sees this multitude of Israelites in this country. And his, and his reaction to that is, this is not good because if another country comes against us, the Israelites could join them and now they've got numbers and, and we can't fight them off. So this isn't good. So what we need to do is oppress the Israelites. And so they make them slaves. And so we pick up here in the, in the first chapter of Exodus, uh, and it says, uh, the more they afflicted them, meaning the more that the Egyptians afflicted the Israelites, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out. So they were in dread of the sons of Israel. So again, they're, they're trying to press them down, but they continue to grow. And he says, the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, and their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. So they are making life extremely difficult. And as, as you read more of the story, you see even, you know, they're required to make uh, brick and, and things like this, and, and it's just really hard labor. 
But at one point, they increased the demand on the Israelites saying, you know, now you, you had to make this number of bricks in a day. Now you've got to make this number, and it's a bigger number. But they don't give them as many, uh, they don't give them all the resources they need to do it. So now they've got this hard life in slavery and manual labor right off the bat. And then the standards change without enough resources. They've been set up to fail, and then they're punished when they fail. And this is life for the Israelites because the king did not want them to, to grow to uh, power and be able to throw over the Egyptians. And so life is rough, and we fast forward to Exodus 2, and it says, Now it came about in the course of uh, those, those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage. So this king, this forced them into slavery, has passed away. Another king comes in. Everything continues just the same. Nothing changes. Israelites are still slaves. Uh, and it says, And they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. So he knows what's going on. And now at this point, they're crying out for help. And this is just a clear indication that God is listening. He didn't just, you know, magically in a moment go, oh, no, I didn't realize this was going on. It says, he, you know, he, he knew. So we jump forward into Exodus 3, and now this is where God's kind of revealing his plan to Moses of, I'm going to set my people free, and I'm going to use you to do this. And so in verse 7, it says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt." And so there's a, a few points there to, to focus in on. Number one is God is aware. God was aware of what was going on in the lives of the Israelites. And God is aware of everything that is going on in our lives, the good, bad, the indifferent. But he was aware. He was paying attention. He saw what was going on. And he's telling Moses in, you know, in very clear words, I know what's going on. I'm seeing it. I'm hearing it. And now I'm going to rescue my people. Uh, and so part of that rescue was, uh, you know, as, as you look at this, it, and, and if you know the rest of the story, the, the rescue was they were delivered out of Egypt through, the, through a, a series of miracles, the plagues that came on the Egyptians to, to, to convince the Pharaoh to set them free. Then their, the, the miraculous crossing through the Red Sea where God parted the waters, the Israelites go through, and as the Egyptian army tries to follow them, the, the waters cave in on, on the army and they're wiped out and the Israelites are, are singing for, for joy and, and they're rejoicing and praising God because they've been delivered and they know this. So there, there's all of these miracles that, that are happening. What God could have done is say, I'm gonna set you free. I'm gonna convince Pharaoh. I'm gonna change his heart so that he will set you free and then you just stay there and you guys learn to coexist and, and, and you stay in the land of oppression but you're going to be free. You're not going to be slaves anymore. You'll be able to buy land and you know, do, do all of these things, whatever you want to do. That could have happened, but that's not, that, that wasn't going to be complete freedom for the Israelites. And he knew that. So he says here, he says, I'm going to take you out of the land of oppression. 
And this is a key point even in our faith today. He's going to remove us from the land of oppression and take us to a better land. So it's not just, I'm going to set you free and then leave you there, uh, right close to all of the things that were oppressing you before, and, uh, and, and you just learn to coexist with it. You know, don't, don't step over, you know, the boundaries too much. He's actually saying, I'm going to take you from this point where you're being oppressed and held into bondage, and I'm going to deliver you to something that's way better on the other side. And that's what he physically did for the Israelites. Spiritually, that's what he's doing for us. Um, uh, but, the, but that was the, the idea. And so then the Israelites are freed, and they're not in bondage anymore. Uh, but once they were free from slavery under the Egyptians... Then they began to lose trust in God for other provision. And so now they had a new problem and needed to be rescued from the consequences of their own sins and rebellion. So this is a group of people who was just delivered from slavery. They're no longer slaves anymore. All of these miracles that they witnessed to be set free, and then they get to the desert and they don't have food because they're in the desert. And eventually, anything you packed with, you ran out. And if you can't replenish, you're, you're running out. And so now they see this, this new obstacle, this new trouble in front of them. And so rather than trusting the God who had just miraculously delivered them from everything, they say, man, they, they actually say it would have been better for us to have stayed in Egypt and to remain slaves because at least we had food to eat there. And so, you know, they've, they've seen that they can trust God, that he will work in ways that they cannot imagine to deliver them, and yet they run into a new thing where they can't see what the next step is going to be, and they, and they can't trust. They say, actually, we would rather go back to slavery than to be here and not know what's going on next. And so then God, God provides for them in a way, and he calls them stiff-necked people. <laughs> you know, it's like you are so set in having to know everything that's going on that you can't even trust. Um, but he calls them stiff-necked people, but he provides for them anyway. Because his heart is not to demolish his people, but to save them and rescue them. And he shows them again, miraculously, that I am the God who can provide for everything that you need. And he produces manna, bread from heaven, which who could have imagined that that's what was going to come? That's how he was going to start feeding them. And they eat on that for a while, and they're grateful until they're tired of carbs, and they need some protein. (laughs) They say, Lord, we don't have any meat. And it would have been better for us to have stayed in Egypt as slaves um, where at least we ate better than we are here out in the desert. So now it's not that they don't have food, it's they don't have the kind of food that they, <laughs> that they want. And so, and again, you see their, their heart is, I don't have everything I want and I can't see how I'm going to get it. So I would rather go back to this position of slavery. I'll take the oppression if I just have these certainties of, of in, in this case, of food. And so, you know, where I'm trying to go with this is, is we need to do some reflection in our own life and see, you know, where has God worked? And he showed us that he is capable of providing for everything that we need. And yet we, we run into a, a new challenge and a new obstacle, and we just don't know how it's going to work out. So now we're not certain that we can trust anymore. That's all of what the Israelites were walking through. So they had been uh, freed from physical oppression and now they're basically in spiritual oppression because of their own sin and rebellion. Of we don't, You did all of these things for us before, and that's great, but now I don't trust that you can do the next thing. And so that's essentially where the, where the Israelites ended up. And, and the, you follow the rest of the history, and, there, and there's all of, of, uh, all of these examples of people, uh, of kings, um, Israelite kings that are coming in, and uh, their hearts are for God. And the next one, his heart is against God. And the next one, his heart is for God. The next one is against. And, and there's all this back and forth, but Israel is, is, is continually 
facing the consequences of their own sin, which was rebellion against God, uh, failure to trust him and his promises, and then they suffered a consequence, but the consequence didn't last forever. The consequence was temporary, and then God rescues them, always rescues them, brings them back to freedom like he said he would. And so we fast forward now to, to where are we? How does that apply to us today? Because that, that's, that's a great history lesson, and it's good that we know this, but what does that mean for us? And so uh, we look at this and we just see God rescues us from more than the problems directed towards us from outside forces. He can do that for sure. He can set us free from, from other people, other circumstances that are oppressing us, but it's deeper than that. He rescues us from the penalty of sin through Jesus Christ. So what we're looking at with the examples of the Egyptians in Egypt, excuse me, that was a, that was a physical thing that, that they were set free from. For us, yes, we can be set free from anything physical, but more importantly, he eternally frees us from the penalties of sin. Because as, as Romans 3 says, we, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we all need a savior. We all need rescue from something. Otherwise, we're going to have to face his wrath because he's a just God. But through Jesus, once our faith is in him, we don't have to face that. So uh, Psalm 103, um, verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. I'm going to stop and just focus on that verse for just a second. There's, there's more to the psalm that we're going to look at. But... Um, There's a couple other places in Scripture that this shows up. Psalm 103, this is a psalm written by David, where he is praising God because he knows this very thing about God's character, that he's compassionate and gracious, he's slow to to anger, and he's abounding in loving kindness. In other words, he loves his people. He will provide for his people. And when he needs to punish, it's not going to last forever. It's going to be temporary, and he's going to bring them out of it. David knows this because of his own experiences and his own walk and because he knew Scripture. Uh, the scripture they had at the time. And we know this because the first time that this is mentioned about God, God is speaking this to Moses about himself. It was after the Israelites had been freed uh, from Egypt, and God is telling Moses, I am this guy. I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he used those very words that David is writing here in Psalm 103. Um, The other place that we see this is with Jonah. Uh, in the book of Jonah. And, and if you're familiar with that, essentially, God gave Jonah a message, said, I want you to go to the Ninevites, teach, uh, you know, preach this message of repentance from them, or they're going to suffer the consequences of, of, of their sin. And so Jonah, rather than, rather than going to them, he goes the opposite direction. Well, miraculously, God brings him back to, to Nineveh, uh, convinces Jonah, go send the message. He does, and the people, the people repent. They hear the message that, that there's a judgment and a wrath of God coming for them if they don't repent, if they don't change their ways. And at the, near the end of the book of Jonah, what you see, Jonah actually says, God, I didn't want to go and preach this message because I knew this. He says, I knew that you are a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. So Jonah is using the same words that God used about himself. And he's saying, I knew this about you. And I felt like the people deserved to suffer. So I didn't want to give them this message because I knew you would rescue them and deliver them from their own sin and their own rebellion. I knew this about you and I didn't think they deserved it. So I wasn't going to do it. But then sure enough, you brought me here. I preached the message and look what happens. You did exactly what you said you were going to do. You rescued them from the penalties of their sin. And so we, we see God says this about himself, 
But then we see this in a couple of different places in Scripture. One where somebody says, I know this about you, and the people don't deserve to know this about you. So I don't want to give the message. Another one, David says, I know this about you, and I'm going to write a song about it. And we are going to praise you about it. And all the people are going to know this about our God. So you see a couple of different reactions. But that's what Psalm 103 is. David is repeating God's own words about himself back to him. And then he goes on in the next verse, in verse 9, and he says, He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. And so this verse just implies that uh, we may have to face the discipline of God, but the God, that discipline is not to destroy us. The discipline is to bring us into repentance, uh, into godly sorrow, so that we, that we change and we turn, and we turn our hearts back to him. But when he has to punish, the punishment is, is not just so that he can reveal dis, dissatisfaction or, or so that he, can, um, that he can show that he doesn't approve of what's going on, but it's actually there to show that he loves us and that he's not seeking our ruin. He's seeking to change our hearts, to convince us that what we're doing is not right. It's not good for us. He actually has a better way for us. And so that we turn our hearts back to him. So it's not in his character to retain anger against his people just, just, just to have anger. But it's actually to use discipline to rescue us from whatever is going on, um, to rescue us from whatever is going on in our heart and turn us back to him. And then still in Psalm 103, we go to the next few verses. It says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So again, we're not having to eternally suffer the wrath of mistakes, but he's actually doing everything uh, to remove those from us. So how does he do that? How does that apply to us? Um, he has offered this to us, the, this eternal rescue, uh, the rescue from the penalty of our own sin and rebellion against him through Jesus Christ. And so we see in Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we're rescued through Christ. We don't have to pay the penalty of our own sins because Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty of our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, reinforcing the same thing, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so that in him is, is a key point here. But God made Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, to pay the penalty for sin on our behalf so that we might be able to walk in the righteousness of God. So while Jesus' death removed the sin barrier between us and the holy God, it's only when we place our faith in him as Savior that his death has meaning for us. So that uh, verse in 2 Corinthians says we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's when we are in Christ that that death has any meaning at all. And so that death was available, the, 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 the freedom that comes, the rescuing that comes from that death was available to everyone, is available to everyone. But it only applies when we are in him, when we accept that. Um, and so it's kind of like, <laughs> like this, uh, 
this is kind of a corny joke, but most people have heard it, but it's like the, the floodwaters are coming. And the guy said, you know, it, there's a radio broadcast that, hey, flood's coming. Uh, everybody evacuate. And the guy stays at home and he says, God will save me. And the floodwaters rise and he's got to go up to the second floor because the water's rising high, high enough. Well, then the boats are coming through and they're like, hey, guy, you need some help? And he's like, no, it's fine. God will save me. Well, the waters keep rising. He gets up on the roof. Helicopter comes by. Hey, man, do you need some help? We'll drop a ladder. He's like, no, it's fine. God will save me. And then the floodwaters rise and he drowns. <laughs> and he gets to heaven and he goes, God, I was waiting for you to save me. Why didn't you? And God says, well, I gave you a warning and then I sent a boat and a helicopter. What else did you want? And so God's sending all of these ways for rescue and the guy doesn't accept any of them. And then he drowns in his refusal to accept help. And so we look at, you know, what does that mean for us is when we are in Christ, his death has meaning and significance, the communion we just took has meaning and significance, and we can trust in the, in, in the confidence of God when we are in Christ. If not, that's just juice and crackers, you know? That was a really small breakfast, you know? And, and, and if we're not in Christ, we will face the penalty and the consequences of our own sin, because the Scripture says we've all fallen short, and it's not God's heart. It's what Ezekiel was writing, is, is God doesn't even want to see the wicked die in their sin. He would rather see them turn from their ways and live and be saved. And he's offered that to all of us through Jesus Christ. So faith in Jesus is the essential element for our rescue and freedom from the penalty of sin. Ephesians 2.8 says we're saved by grace through our faith, which is a gift of God. It's our faith in Christ. That's the only thing. It goes on, verse 9 says it's not by work so that we can't boast hey, I I did enough to to earn your favor, God. You can save me now. It's only through faith. And when we profess our faith, then we are in Christ. And then we have freedom and we've been rescued from the penalty of sin. And yes, we're still gonna face challenges while we're here on this earth in this body, but we can face them with hope and confidence because we are in Christ and eternally we are saved. And that gives us the confidence looking forward through the cross to walk through whatever step, what, you know, whatever, whatever situation, whatever circumstance that we're in. Um, and so we're going to look at now, that's how this applies, but what, what do we do with this? And so we actually have a lot of responses. But uh, when, uh, as you're reading further through the book of Exodus, after God's delivered the Israelites out of, uh, out of slavery and bondage. And Moses go, goes up on the mountain and God is, is giving him the commandments and everything. Right before, the verse right before God starts giving the commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So the very first thing he says is, I'm the God who rescued you. I'm the God who miraculously did something for you that you cannot do for yourself. And then he gives the commandments. He says, so... Live this way, and this way will protect you. It will protect you from going back into bondage and back into slavery. And what happens? The Israelites didn't follow those. They didn't walk in that way always. And so they did have to face consequences. And they did actually go back into physical bondage at different times throughout their history, right? Um, But God's saying, I brought you out of slavery, so live in this way. And so we actually have a response once we've placed our faith in Christ, there are, there's actually a lot of responses that we go through. But what I want to focus on this morning is we, we have the response to being rescued by God, 
to call the lost to come and see. And so it's not just to, it's not just to, to, to rest in our own salvation and stay there. But we actually are supposed to call other people to come and see. And, it, and, and if anybody hasn't been to a newcomer's coffee or a membership class, this is actually one of, uh, one of the, the core values of our church is to call the lost to come and see, that other people need to know this message. And that's what David was doing in Psalm 103. He's like, I know this about God. I'm going to write it down, turn this into a song. All the people are going to see it. More people are going to know this very thing about God. And we ought to have the same thing because we all know different things that we've walked through in our lives that we have been rescued from, that God has brought us out of once we placed our faith, our faith in him. And so that's something that we ought to be willing to share with other people. Um, but it, you look at just as uh, Jonah and David both knew the same thing about God, that he was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jonah took that information and said, these people are sinners. They don't deserve to hear it. They deserve to, they just deserve to suffer the full consequences of their sin. David had the different response. I'm going to make this known to everybody, that everybody can have freedom because of, of who God is. And so, uh, and, and that's actually part of the commission that we've been given by Jesus, is when we are in him, that we are supposed to, to, to go and to teach and to baptize, to make disciples. And we can't do that by keeping all of this information just, just in ourselves, because we're afraid of what might happen if I share this. Um, you know, I, I might face a hostile environment if I say something that's contrary to what's going on. Um, but we should actually be willing to share. That's, that's part of our commission. Uh, but one of the things that I want to point out, we're going to focus in on this for just a minute, is that uh, this calling to call the lost to come and see, it's actually a calling for us to live according to God's ways and invite other people to see that. It's not for us to join the lost outside the boundaries of righteousness. And so that's, that's a key point, and especially we look at, at, at today's culture. Uh, if you, if you uh, remember Romans 1, Romans 1, God, uh, or Paul is talking about how God gave people over to their depraved minds. In other words, they wanted sin, and it says they knew the truth about God, but they exchanged the truth for a lie, and they worshiped false idols, and they, and they, and they got into to all kinds of other sin, uh, and it specifically lists, lists you know, different sins of, of lust. And it says they did these things. They knew the truth about God, but they did something different. And so God turned them over to their depraved minds, and they had to suffer the consequences. And then it closes out. This, this has always jumped out at me when, when I read Romans 1. It closes the end of that chapter by saying, and not just the ones that did it, but they also approved of ones doing it. And so that's a key point there. And it's not just if you're walking in sin, maybe you're not you know, actively walking in, in any kind of specific gross sin, but you are encouraging other people to just continue in their way because we don't want to face the hostility of telling somebody, hey, this is actually wrong and we should consider something else because then we're going to get labeled as bigots. And then we're going to get labeled as racist, even though that has nothing to do with race. I mean, in today's culture, it happens. And we don't want to walk through that challenge and that trial so we don't say anything, or sometimes, maybe even worse, and we've seen it happen, is we say, hey, it's okay, you do you. And we're approving of what they're doing in that. And Romans 1 says there's a penalty for that just as much as there's a penalty for actually committing the sin. And so we don't want to find ourselves in that spot because we understand that God has rescued us from something 
and we don't want to go back to it. We don't want to see anybody else stuck in it. And that's what Galatians 5.1 says. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the same thing that I've already rescued you from, you know? And don't tell others to stay right where they're at because they're not going to find any freedom in that. He's saying, I've set you free from that, so don't go back to it, but stand firm where you're at. And Jesus gave us the commission to call others to come and, and, and participate in what we're doing rather than us going and participating in what everybody else is doing. And then hopefully they see, hey, this God guy is kind of cool because I can do whatever I want and it's fine because that's not the truth. The truth is God is calling us out of slavery and oppression and into something else. That's what he physically did with the Israelites. You're being oppressed here. I'm taking you to a new land that's better. Spiritually, that's what he's doing for us. You are in bondage to this particular sin, this habit in your life, whatever it is. And I've set you free from that through the blood of Christ and your faith in him. And so now you're over here. Don't go back to, those same, to that same thing you were doing just to try to convince everybody else around you that it's okay, because it's not. Actually, you stay here and call everybody else to come and be a part of your life now and let them see that there's something different than what it is they're actually doing and walking in. You know, um, and so we look at Luke 15 and Jesus tells this parable. He says, Jesus told them this parable. What man among you, if, you had a, if he has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, comes home and calls together his friends and neighbors to tell them, rejoice with me for I have found my, la- my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous ones who do not need to repent. So there's a lot in here that I think applies to to what we're talking about this morning. Um, But one specifically is the shepherd left to go find the one that was lost. God did not, he's saying God is not going to leave the lost one where he is at to suffer and die in what he's doing but he's actually providing a way for salvation for that one. Um, There's a a couple of uh, indirect implications in here. One is that when the lost is found, it's not left where it's at. It says he puts it on his shoulder and he takes it home, right? So it's not left where it's at. Hey, I'm going to set you free from, in this case, you know, when the sheep strayed or whatever, they get into a pit they can't get out of, they get caught up in briars and they're stuck. He doesn't just set them free and then leave them there and go back to the other 99. And hopefully you don't fall right back into that same trap that you were just in five minutes ago. It says he takes it, puts it on his shoulders and carries it back to the other 99. Here's a quick point here that the 99, it says they don't need to repent. Well, why do they not need to repent? It's because they already have. They are already safe in the arms of the shepherd because they have already repented. They are already in the safety and security of the shepherd. There was one that was lost. So these are okay because they're they're staying within the boundaries that the shepherd put out. We apply that to us. We walk within the boundaries that God's given us. We're safe and secure in Jesus Christ. It's only when we stray outside that we need to repent and come back. And so he's saying these 99 are, are safe and secure. They don't need to repent. They're good. So I'm going to go find the one that needs it, and I bring it home. And so, you know, again, you look at what the parable could have said. As it could have said, Jesus found, or the shepherd found the one, and he calls the 99 out from their safety to come gather around the one. 
And then this makes the one feel better because he was in trouble and everybody can see the trouble he was in, but they're all going to be right there around it anyway. They didn't do that. He said, the shepherd took the one and removed him away from the trouble that he was in and took him back into safety with the other 99. And so, that's, and so we, we take that, and that's one of the indirect implications, I think, that, that we take from this passage is once we are safe and secure in Christ, we don't go back into all of the other things that we were in before to try to save one. We actually invite them to come to us and just see that there's something different. And it doesn't have to be dramatic, but, but, you, but you think back, you know, if, if you had, uh, just say, uh, you know, adults, if, if we had you kind of like rowdy college days and, and we had all our buddies on game days, we used to get together and, and, and you know, whatever, but it, it wasn't always the, the cleanest fun. Now that I'm older and I'm in Christ, I can't go back to those same kinds of events and, and, the, and the same kind of, you know, craziness with the same buddies because it's not, that's not where I'm supposed to be. But it doesn't mean I just drop them off the face of the earth and forget that they exist. I could have my own game day party at my house and invite them to come and be a part of that, where I'm in a little bit more of control of all of the things that are going on around us, all of the things that are there or not there. And I, I kind of get to set the pace for, for the event. That's, I mean, that's just one easy example, but it's, I don't have to go back into all of the things that I know were wrong that God has set me free from, has forgiven me for through the blood of Christ. I actually just keep living the life that, that, that I'm living now in Christ and invite other people to be a part of that. Because that's what he's saying right here in this parable that the shepherd did. He didn't call the 99 out of the safety. He said, you got to stay right here. You're good where you're at. You're, you're in the ways of righteousness. So you're fine. I'm going to go get the one and I'm going to bring them back. And we're not going to kick them out because they were lost. We're actually going to accept them and make them a part of the group. And then they're going to be adopted into the sonships of God because we were welcoming and loving. And they recognized us because of our love. And that's, and, you know, that's, that's the point here, is that we don't just leave people where they're at. We call them to come see. But we call them to come to us rather than us going into the trouble that they're in. Now, I'm not saying that we don't reach out to people because of course we do, but we have to be careful about what kinds of things we allow ourselves to go and be a part of. You know, um, you just kind of have to be careful of the situations that you put yourself in because you never know what, uh, what stumbling blocks there might be there for you. So when it's possible, it's safer to call them to come be a part of what you're doing. Uh, and so I, th- I think that's a key point. And so as a, as a result of all of this, we have the ministry of reconciliation, the responsibility of calling the lost to see, uh, to, uh, yeah, to calling the lost to come and see. And so this ministry of reconciliation, that comes from 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Uh, old things have passed away and behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal to us or through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So that's the message that we carry, is that God is not interested in counting the sins of the world against them. He hasn't done it with his people throughout history. 
He's actually always, there's punishment, there's discipline, but there's always deliverance from that. And that's the message that we have. God is not trying to destroy mankind because of his wickedness. He's actually offered a way for salvation. He's offered a way to be rescued and, and a way for freedom. And that's the, that's the message that, uh, that we're supposed to carry. Um, and that's part of what Jesus was saying in, in, the, in the Great Commission is, is as you go, uh, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, give them this message. And then they now have a message that they are going to go and take as well. And that's the, the, the message of, of reconciliation. That's calling the lost to come and see that we don't have to be stuck and we don't have to suffer uh, the consequences. We don't even have to suffer them right now if we'll stop what we're doing, if we'll repent and turn back to God. But we certainly don't have to suffer them eternally because God has offered a way through Jesus Christ. And that's, that, that should be the most important message that we have. We know this about God, that he's a rescuer of his people. So why would we want to see people suffer? Uh, there's a, um, I don't know if, if, if any of you guys are familiar with uh, Penn and Teller. Uh, I don't know, this is a, a comedy magician, you know, whatever. Uh, one of the guys is, is a very open atheist. Grew up in church, uh, left church. He's, a, he's an atheist. Uh, he was quoted in an interview one time of saying something along the lines of, now this is from an atheist, but he's saying, if you are, if, if you see somebody standing in a road and a truck is coming down the road, is about to hit them, and you see all of this happening, and you know they are completely unaware, and you don't rush out to save that person from getting hit and dying, how much do you have to hate that person? And he was, and he was comparing that to Christians who don't share their faith. And this is an atheist, but he's at least seeing the value of us calling others to come and see. Why would I want to know this great thing about God, that he, that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and bounding, abounding in love, and he's done this for me, why would I not want to tell somebody else about this? And here's an atheist even that's recognizing the value of that. He's saying, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share with them? And so we don't necessarily, and I realize this because I've certainly been in this situation myself, but we don't necessarily actively, intentionally hate somebody um, because I didn't want to share something with them. Sometimes it's my own fear of what's going to happen to me, but that's fear of man, right? And we don't share things sometimes because we're, we're afraid of what the consequences are going to be for us. Or maybe I hadn't been trained in this and I don't really know what to say, but you know what? That goes back to uh, if, if we are in fellowship with God and we are walking empowered by his spirit, scripture says he will give us the words when we need them. All we have to do is open our mouths and start talking and he'll give us the words. So it's not that we need special training on, on any of this. It's just, we just have to know what God has done for us and be willing to share that with other people. You don't have to be a, a, a professional or, or vocational you know, minister or anything like that because we, we all ought to know in the ways in which God has rescued us. And just be willing to simply open up and share that with, with other people. And that's how we share the ministry of reconciliation. Hey, I was lost in my sin. God saved me. He rescued me from this through Jesus Christ. So what is it that you're walking through that you know is not right? You know it's bringing a burden on your life somehow. Let's talk about it. Um, and so... I'm going to look at, uh, just real quick, uh, coming near the end here, at Psalm 51. 
Uh, this is one that, again, when, when I was at a season of life, where, when I was first coming to faith and really kind of have, having to come to uh, the reality of the consequences of, of the sins that, that I had lived in at different seasons of life and things like that. But I'm coming to, coming to the, the reality, having to face, for, you know, really for the first time, the reality of it and what God is really bringing me through. And for a little while, I struggled to even read Psalm 51 because I felt like, man, I am so unworthy of this. Uh, you know, and as a new believer years back, I mean, that's, that's really how it felt. It's like, yes, I believe, but I don't know that this counts for me. And so when I would read Psalm 51, it, it would really kind of break me up. I had trouble re- reading through the whole thing. Um, but as you, as you learn to accept who you are in Christ, you know, what, what, what the death of Christ, what, what his blood and being his blood washing you uh, from purifying you from all unrighteousness, what that actually means for you. Uh, this is actually a, a really, really sweet psalm. Uh, but in verse 9, it says, hide your face from my sins. And again, this is David. And, and David, the same guy who says, my sins are ever before me. Um, you know, he wrote that in, in one of the psalms. And so his sins in, included adultery, included uh, conspiracy to murder and cover up. And, and, and he knew this. He said, this is always before me. But now he's talking to God and he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your, from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach, your, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. And so you see these same, these, these same things that we're talking about. There's, there's the, the rescue, the, the deliverance. There's a, first, there's a, a recognition that there's need. And then there's the rescue and the deliverance. And then there's the, well, now I'm going to tell other people about this. David recognizes the, the, the fact that he had been a sinner, and he's asking God to forgive him. He's like, blot it out, wipe it away. Let's not focus on this. Instead, give me your spirit. Give, you know, give, turn me back to a clean and, and, a, and a steadfast way. And then when I'm walking in that way, I'm going to teach others about it. And I'm going to sing joyfully of your righteousness and the fact that you've rescued me from this. And so that's something that, that we all want to walk in. And so uh, God continues to rescue his people from their sin as they trust in the blood of Jesus to purify them from unrighteousness. And in fact, until we see him face to face, we will always need to call upon this important aspect of his character. God's made this available for all of us. We we have freedom, we have rescue, freedom from sin, freedom from the eternal consequence of sin. We can actually walk in freedom in this life from sin through the power of Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit. But we have to accept that and as long as we're in this body, we're going to have to continue to remember this about God and not be like the Israelites who got in the desert and said, oh no, it would have been better if we had stayed in slavery than to be out here in freedom and not know what's coming next. God's saying, actually, it's better for you to be in freedom and trust in me because I've already saved your soul. Can I not take care of this one little situation that you're in right now? Before time, I saved your soul. Can I take care of what you're going through right now? How about just trust in me? And as you trust, 
don't be afraid to tell other people about this. Don't be afraid to tell them what I've already done. And don't go back into those same things that you were doing before. And don't go join in with other people and tell them that it's okay, you do you. I'll just be me over here in the same spot. He's saying, actually, invite them to come be a part of what you're doing and show them what life with Christ is like. So that's what I want to encourage all of you guys for, is just recognize what God's brought you through. Praise him for that. Give him glory and honor. And we do that by telling other people about the same things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your heart is not set on our destruction. Father, we thank you for the the opportunity to walk in freedom that you've given us through Jesus Christ. Father, we we confess to you now uh, the the times and and the difficulties we have of of being open and and sharing these things with people from time to time. Father, we ask you, we ask for your spirit to be present with us, to constantly be, be changing our hearts, molding us, drawing us in closer to you, Father, so that we're not walking in fear of man, but through trust in you, Father, trust that you are gracious and compassionate, that you're slow to anger, that you're abounding to love in love. Father, that kind of trust is, is what we want to walk in so that we can openly share with people what you've done for us and that other hearts will be turned. Father, we don't want to see the wicked perish just like you. We want to see them turn and to be saved. And so, Father, as, as, as we meet with people in our daily lives, people that we know, but we know they don't know you yet, Father, just give us the same grace and compassion that you've showed us. Give us that same grace and compassion for other people, Father. And just give us the words, Father. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.